Welcome to CentCast, the official podcast of the United States Central Command, America's premier warfighting headquarters. Coming to you from Tampa Bay, Florida, with your host, Joe Buccino. Hey, this is Joe Buccino, host of CentCast. Thanks so much for joining us on the inaugural episode <laughs> here with a friend of mine. Yes, sir. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Crespo, United States CENTCOM. United States CENTCOM, you and I both work in the headquarters of CENTCOM, which is in Tampa, Florida. We're in the CENTCAST studio in Tampa, Florida for the first episode. Thank you for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time, so I'm glad that you're finally kicking it off and in style. Well, you and I have been talking about it for a while, and the only reason you're here, you have this great uh, podcast voice. <laughs> Thank you. Good for you. People say I have a have a face for podcasts. That's right, so. you do, you really do. So I think the first thing we should tee up for the, the listener, the uninformed listener, is what is CENTCOM? What is U.S. Central Command? Right, so as the name implies, United States Central Command is a United States military command. And as it implies in the name, it covers the central area of the globe, located between the European Command, Africa, and the Indo-Pacific Command. Its, its coverage, if you want to call it coverage or air of responsibility, goes from on the western border, the country of Egypt, and it spans eastward toward the northeast to the Central Asian states countries of Kazakhstan. It's responsible for security and stability of the region, and it is commonly known as the nation's premier warfighting headquarters. Yeah, I mean, the CENTCOM has been, you know, well-known has been in combat or supporting combat, sending troops to combat, organizing and leading combat for its entire lifespan. And we're going to talk about that over the course of the show. Another important responsibility for CENTCOM, Crespo, is partnering with militaries in the region. And right now, as we'll discuss in much greater detail, CENTCOM really has a responsibility for innovation, for the employment of new technologies and new equipment, and not just that, you know, not just AI, machine learning, data analytics, but also new ideas and developing new ideas and implementing them right. into our operations and partnering uh, around those ideas and then moving out on them. Right. So let me ask you this. What is this podcast going to be about? We're going to start with the history, explain mm -hmm. the history, because it is a, a fascinating history, and I think you know, we should invest in it. You, you uh, I know you believe in that, that we here who work and operate in CENTCOM, we should know our history. It's, it's part of our culture, our identity, and our lineage. But I think also people who are interested in the Middle East, people who are interested in national security, they also should understand the history. And they'll, they'll find, I think, a lot of value in it. I believe so. And I think that you're going to learn so much about some of the programming and some of the, the guests you're going to bring in. And, and you know, th that's what's interesting is like, this show is is ideally creating it for the the people who work in CENTCOM, who are assigned, who operate on CENTCOM, but but also for people who work in national security, also people who work in diplomacy, also people in the region. So it's a wide audience, and we think there's a lot of material for people who have a have a a real yearning for information about the Middle East, about Central Asia, about the Levant, and about military operations. So with the kickoff of the podcast, what is the plan? You're going to roll out how many episodes? So we're going to go through the year, through the entire year 2023, unknown how many episodes, but we have a lot of ground to cover. We're going to release a new episode every other Tuesday morning. So every two weeks, a new episode, they'll go out on Tuesday morning. And I know that throughout the history of, of the command, I mean, it's, it's a storied command, mm -hmm. lots of personalities have 
have led here. Are you trying to bring some of these uh, past leaders or, or any other special guests? What we're more interested in, we've already recorded episodes with guests who are experts in the region, who have something to say, who are you know masters of this of this knowledge, people who have written books. We, we do have some top tier guests, some really interesting guests. For, for us, for me, it's more important that they can connect with a listener and, and tell a story than it is about uh, what they've done in SECOM. Absolutely. So we know the what. Yeah. Now, if you have a, a minute, I'd like to understand why now? What is so important about this year, 2023? 2023, 2023 is the 40th anniversary of the formation of CENTCOM. And I think it's an important time to, maybe almost a milestone, to consider the legacy mm-hmm. of the organization, because the legacy might tell us where we're going. And you know, we're also going to talk about, uh, Chris, but we're also going to talk about particularly in this next in the next episode, the years immediately preceding uh, the formation of CENTCOM. So, you know, if you think about the country then, you know, the, the idea for CENTCOM, right. the formation and the planning around CENTCOM began in 1980 at the end of Jimmy Carter administration. And I think there were, when I think about that, you know, from, from the end of Jimmy Carter administration to the beginning of, of Ronald Reagan administration, that transition period that's when the Pentagon and the White House began planning for a four-star command mm-hmm. in this part of the world that you've identified. At that time, right. there were four cataclysmic things that were happening at the same time. The first one is Iran had 52 American hostages. Mm-hmm. I remember that. In, read about it. Yep. in Tehran. And that's hard for us to even understand now how dark that was for the American people. You know, there's this wonderful PBS documentary called Taken Hostage. We have the director coming on in a future, oh, nice. future episode. That documentary, the, particularly the third and the fourth episode of a four-episode documentary, it uses a lot of home video footage to reveal just the seething humiliation that Americans felt that they were 52 of our own, blindfolded, held in the basement of the embassy in Tehran, couldn't go anywhere. It was really a helpless feeling. So that was happening, uh, and they were held by students. Uh, arena students, not by a military force. Right. Okay, so you had that happening. At the same time, groundswell is happening. The Soviet Union, which which our entire, almost our entire military apparatus was focused on the Soviet Union at that time. Right, during the Cold War. Towards the end of the Cold War, but we're in the Cold War. The Soviet Union ruled three mechanized divisions into a remote Central Asian country. That country, Afghanistan. Yep. Okay, a lot of people didn't know what it was, couldn't identify a map, but now we've got a new front in the Cold War. That's the second thing. The third thing is Iran and Iraq go to war. And so we're actually, the United States, we'll talk about this in great, great detail. The United States is on the side of Iraq. And there's a concern that a lot of this war takes place at sea. And so if global commerce gets stuck in the Persian Gulf, if civilian ships transporting goods or commerce start getting blown up in the Persian Gulf, mm-hmm. you know that would be devastating to global economy. Or if we can't extract oil by sea out of the Persian Gulf, that would really be devastating to American energy. You know, and that's something that, that the Nixon administration in the late 1960s, early 1970s, they really identified the Persian Gulf as, as a priority for that reason. Finally, the final concern here is that the Soviet Union would not stop in Afghanistan, that the, the Pentagon was preparing for World War III in Iran against the Soviet Union. There was a concern that there would be a Soviet invasion of Iran. Now, like we said up front, Iran's in turmoil. The Shah is overthrown. There is no real government. 
So this is ripe, our the thinking in the United States and the Department of Defense, the situation is ripe for the Soviet Union to go in there. Now they've got a foothold in Central Asia, in Afghanistan. Right. Now they've got a foothold in the Middle East. Middle East. Maybe they can take advantage in the Persian Gulf. All these things are happening at the same time. And the idea came forward. We need a military command over the top of the Middle East. At the time, there was a gap. I think what uh, you're a military operator, I'm a strategic uh, mm -hmm. thinker. What sure. military people uh, you know, think of as a gap in coverage, that is considered a gap in coverage. So you had Pacific Command, right. you know, focused on, on the part of the world that's focused on right now, and you know, India, uh, the Pacific region. And then you had European Command, which is really, you know, focusing on the Soviet Union and the European countries. And you've got a gap. You've got no command dedicated towards the Middle East. Right. So between 1980, 81, 82, the Department of Defense is really looking at this command. They actually went through a few commands, you know, came and went before they landed on Central Command. 1981, the Reagan administration is in office. Okay, they've solved the Iran hostage crisis. So of the four mm -hmm. crises we identified, one of them is ticked off, but there's still turmoil in Iran. There's still the threat of a Soviet invasion of Iran. So finally, Caspar Weinberger, the Defense Secretary for Ronald Reagan, really pushed the idea of a four-star combatant command covering this region. Caspar Weinberger, Defense Secretary for Ronald Reagan, submits a formal memo, a formal recommendation to President Reagan to start this new command. So December 1981, these are the words of President Reagan, his endorsement of that memo. I endorse it with enthusiasm. I have long felt that the importance of this region is such that we need the optimal command arrangements possible. And this means a separate command. I approve your decision, and I look forward to the specifics of your implementation plan. That's my Ronald Reagan impression. I know. It's, it's dead on. It sounds just like him. You have so, to be in the room to believe it. Once Central Command is initiated mm -hmm. right here in Tampa, you know, the headquarters, is, the operation is much smaller. It is. And I remember walking past the hallways here in the, in the headquarters and you start seeing the list of the commanders. And it always draws me to that first commander, yeah. General Robert Kingston, I believe. Robert Kingston was the States first Army. commander of CENTCOM. Mm -hmm. At the time when he was the commander, you know, we're in this big, sprawling, massive campus. The visitor center, you know the visitor center you walk mm -hmm. in here. That visitor center building was CENTCOM. That was it. Wow. 850 people in there. Now there are 5,000. Since that first launch of CENTCOM, 1983, CENTCOM has been in combat. In combat. And, and not just in combat, but at the leading edge. At the leading of combat edge. operations uh, globally. And so why don't you get into that a little bit, Crystal? Yeah, so I was, as I was reading and preparing to, to come here with you, I, I delved into the history and mm -hmm. it took me all the way through some of the highlights of the 80s, as you well pointed, then into the 90s with the operation uh, better known as Black Hawk Down in Mogadishu. That was before AFRICOM was a thing, was a unified command of its own. We had some, some influence over that area. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, going through Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Of course, 9-11 was a significant event in history with CENTCOM at the forefront. Then you have circa 2014, the establishment of CJTF or Combined Joint Task Force Operation Inherent Resolve that was designed to combat at the time the uh, a violent extremist organization known as ISIS. And then all the way through the withdrawal of Afghanistan. So me not barely being 40 years old myself, it's, uh, it's just amazing to see how much that we've accomplished as a command in such a short time. 
We've accomplished a lot in a short time. We're going to go through all of it over the course of this podcast. And, you know, I think we should discuss here, because I think this is kind of interesting. Here's some of the proposed names for U.S. Central Command. Oh, yeah. That were rejected. Crescent Command. Makes sense. This is suggested by the Department of Defense. This, is, this was in the running to Casper Weinberg. Commander-in-Chief, Middle East. A little limiting, because we've got more than more in the Middle East. Southwest Asia Command. Desert Command. Not true for all countries. Not true for all countries. I don't like it. And then finally, Lieutenant General Robert Kingston. You mentioned RDJTF, the Rapid Deployment Joint Task Force. He was the commander, Lieutenant General Robert Kingston, three-star commander. Mm -hmm. He recommended United States Central Command. It had a ring of significance, as you identified. This is central, a central part of the world. And it's also central to global security. It is. And, and you, when you bring up Robert General Kingston... Again, it makes me think about all these mm -hmm. these leaders that have led the command, some of these iconic leaders, just to name a few, General Schwarzkopf, General oh, yeah. Franks, General Petraeus, General Mattis, General Austin, General Votel, McKenzie, and now General Kurilla. Mm -hmm. So all icons of their field, uh, tremendous and remarkable soldiers. You know, the it's interesting because the story of CENTCOM is these big moments in combat, right? Mm -hmm. and, and these big critical moments of the world, but it's also these big personalities. You know, we think of Schwarzkopf as this great general leading in, in the Persian Gulf, and he was, a, a in some ways, a, an iconic general of his time, like, like the Patton of his time. And, and, you know, you also see that with, on the other side, with the military leaders in the region. And so you've got big moments, drama, big personalities. It's all right for a great podcast. And when you think about Crespo, this great history, it is a history of war fighting. This is a war fighting headquarters, always has been. The world knows it that way. Think about this. Right. Think about this, Crespo. Every Medal of Honor, the highest medal awarded right. in the United States, every Medal of Honor for action since the Vietnam War has been awarded for actions in the CENTCOM region. And this headquarters... This command, CENTCOM, has been in continuous combat operations since the start of Desert Storm on January 17th, 1991. Ever since we've been in combat. And before that, as we've alluded to a little bit here, we've been in a low-grade, we were in a low-grade war at sea with Iran, the tanker war. And right. we will talk about that in great detail in future episodes. But, you know, this has been a, a command that was born in a war. The Iran-Iraq War, born in war, forged in war, and been in combat ever since its birth. And, you know, one other interesting little nugget here, Crespo, is that every operation, so, you know, you're talking about many, 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 many combat operations. Right, we did. Every CENTCOM operation since Desert Shield, August 1990, has been a coalition operation. So we only fight with partners. Mm -hmm. And that's a, just an interesting really just a, a very illuminating nugget of our history. So that's so fascinating mm -hmm. because I had never realized that all those Medal of Honor recipients were, were awarded for, for acts of valor and, and, and tremendous courage in our region. And, and we're going to talk about all of them, all of the Medal of Honor recipients. In fact, we're going to have some on. And, you know, I think, and I know you agree with me because we've talked about this, every service member has a story. And... 
you know, every service member that served in CENTCOM has a beating heart. And, and, and this show tries to find that beating heart. This building that we're in right now has a story. And CENTCOM has a story. And that's the story we're going to tell. We're going to tell the big story. We're going to tell the little stories. And through that, I think maybe almost weave the narrative of the United States over the past 40 years. Weave the narrative of the Middle East, Central Asia, the Levant over the past 40 years. Another soundbite that echoes with me is the, the partnerships. Yeah. Right? We don't fight alone. Mm -hmm. We never wanted to. We never will probably into the future. Mm -hmm. We're, we so, re future, we're yeah. so reliant on that bilateral, multilateral approach. Yeah. And, and so our mission partners, our, our country partners, our, our allies, they're so important to us. And there's no better example of partnerships towards security and stability than it is here in CENCOM. So let me ask you one more thing. Yeah. We've teed up the 40 years mm -hmm. of CENCOM. But I know for a fact that we're we're not looking into the past. We're we're also looking into the future. So yeah. do you have planned in some of your episodes to cover some of the strategic competition and, and the, what's the new strategy going beyond? Well, absolutely, we do. So, you know, we've got some experts from think tanks in D.C. who are we've already recorded some of these who come on and talk about what the region is going to look like in the next 40 years. Mm -hmm. We also talk about technology, innovation, artificial intelligence and the employment thereof right now, but also what that's going to look like in the next 40 years. So, yes, we're not just looking back at the last 40 years. We're looking into the future. We're looking at what we're doing right now. And I think, you know, it's a very, it's such a rich story and there's so much meaning and so much value in it. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear it. I hope that you invite me again. Uh, even if it's just to listen in the corner to to the conversations live as they happen. Uh, for those listening, you, I know you, where your mind is going. It's, uh, hey, people's Republic of China, Russia, Ukraine, uh, ISIS next. Uh, how do we continue to deter Iran? So I am optimistic and looking forward to the coverage of some of these topics into what is going to be a fantastic and remarkable podcast. We're going to have you back on for your golden radio voice. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Thanks so much, Rick. All right, sir.